Ty Mosby was bored out of his mind. He could have been home with his sister, Annie, watching that dragon drama on cable. Even that would be better than this stupid office party with two women drooling over him. One was recently divorced. The other was married. Women. He turned around and almost fell over Ariane Mitchell. Well, her name was Ariane. Nobody called her that. She was just Aaron to Ty and his sister Annie. He glowered at her. It's not my fault that you're gorgeous, she teased. Mary over there has forgotten her ex-husband in her fever to get you into a dark room. And Henrietta... She nodded toward a gangly woman with wild, dark hair, who was sighing into her drink as she studied him over it. Hasn't given her husband a thought all night. Just as well, she added under her breath, because he's running around with the Tarber woman. What are you, the town crier? He chided. It's a nasty job, but somebody has to do it, she replied with sparkling gray eyes. She laughed and half turned away, her dark hair and an elegant chignon at the back of her neck. And there's Grace. Didn't you date her last year? Oh, God, he groaned. There, there, she hasn't noticed you. She's too busy trying to get Danny Barnes to notice her. He just inherited his grandfather's ranch over in Comanche Wells. I've had my fill of social climbers he muttered. He was giving her the once-over with black eyes. On the other hand, there's you. Oh, don't be absurd. I'm not your type, she murmured, her mind on something else altogether. It was a lie. She'd loved him forever. But Ty couldn't see her for dust. And why should he? She was plain compared to the woman who chased him. He was absolutely gorgeous. He had jet black hair and black eyes and light olive skin that made him look even more gorgeous in that spotless white shirt he was wearing with his dinner jacket and slacks. No wonder women drooled over him. Aaron had drooled over him for years and hid it so carefully that not even his sister realized it. Why not? he asked, really curious. I don't run around with men. He blinked. You run around with women? I don't run around, period. You're what now, 25? You'd better run around with somebody, or you're going to get left behind. You're 31, and you're already left behind. Besides, I work for you, she added. I don't get involved with people that I work for. We could make an exception he pointed out. She glared at him. Tyson Regan Mosby, she said exasperated. If you keep this up, I'm calling Annie. God forbid, he groaned. She loves you. She'll protect you from predatory females. I'll give you a great job recommendation if you'll find my sister a husband, he coaxed. Annie doesn't want to get married yet, she said, any more than you do. And I don't need a job recommendation unless you have in mind firing me tonight. He made a face. I don't have enough people as it is. 
Other San Antonio businesses keep luring our best people away. <laughs> Even the ones I fire. He didn't like firing people, but he sometimes had to. Even though his company was headquartered in San Antonio, people from Jacobsville worked for it. Mosby Construction Company had grown under Ty's management. He'd taken a little construction company owned by his father and built it into a major contender. He had a degree in architecture. He loved to build things. He had inherited wealth, he and Annie, and he didn't really need to work, but he loved his job, and San Antonio was the best place for his company headquarters, although he and Annie still lived in Jacobsville. Ty and Annie were direct descendants of the town's founder, Big John Jacobs, who talked his father-in-law into putting a railroad through Jacobsville and built it into a cattle shipping center in South Texas back in the 19th century. Well, isn't that just like you, she said exasperated. I brought you a brand new human resources manager just last week. He drinks vodka, he said irritably. I don't trust men who drink vodka. How do you know what he drinks? She asked. I asked him. Oh. What are you looking for? He probed. Clarence. Excuse me? Clarence Hodges, she muttered, peering over a nearby woman's shoulder. He's like my personal devil. I can't turn around at a party without running into him. He didn't like that but he hid it. What does he want? She looked up at him with raised eyebrows. He wants me. Why? She really rolled her eyes. Annie needs to get you a book or something about human relationships. He grinned. I think I can figure those out without self-help diagrams. Can you now? She murmured absently, still looking for Clarence. He'd known her for years. She was as familiar to him as her best friend, his only sibling, Annie. She'd spent weekends with them all through high school and through community college, where Erin got an associate's degree in business education. She was great at cost estimates, which was her position in the company. She had a brilliant mind for math. She could do most anything on a computer, even rework spreadsheet programs that he used in his construction company. She was his right arm at work, perfectly capable of standing in for him at meetings, because she knew the business inside out. Of course, why wouldn't she, when she'd worked there part-time through high school and full-time during and after college? He trusted her. Well, on a professional basis. He wasn't keen on thinking about anything more personal. Aaron was standoffish. Once, just once, he'd teased her about going dancing with him, and she'd mumbled something noncommittal and shot out of the room. He'd never admitted, of course, but it had bruised his ego. Aaron wasn't beautiful. She had pleasant features, nice mouth, pretty complexion, gorgeous figure, sparkling eyes. But she dressed like an old woman most of the time, and she never seemed to date anyone. He'd wondered why. He'd even asked Annie, but all he got was a blank look and a smile. 
He studied Erin while she looked around for the man she dreaded seeing. It wasn't so much how she looked that made her attractive, he decided finally. It was her personality. She was warm and friendly to most people, outrageously funny around friends, and she loved animals. That last thing was important to him, because he bred and trained purebred German shepherds. His dogs were like part of the family. They lived inside with him and Annie in their huge inherited mansion in Jacobsville, Texas. The puppies, when he bred them, had their own room and a caretaker who watched over them and kept their living quarters spick and span and odorless. He rarely had more than one litter a year, and by a different female each year, from an outside stud male. No interbreeding at all because it invited birth defects. He loved the pups when they came, and had to be persuaded to give them up for adoption. Even so, he actually ran background checks on potential adopters, right down to requiring photographs of their yards and the pup's living quarters. He was protective. A recent adopter had taken a leather strap to his puppy when it made a mess on the carpet, and a neighbor had seen and heard what was going on. She'd promptly phoned Annie, who told Ty. He'd gone to the owner's house that very day, accompanied by police chief Cash Greer and the local vet, Dr. Bentley Rydell, along with a search warrant that would give them access to the dog in question. To say that the man was shocked was an understatement. He hemmed and hawed and tried to weasel them out of looking at the dog. Cash Greer glared at him. That was all it took. Most everybody was scared of the town's police chief, who was nice enough at public gatherings, but hell on lawbreakers of any kind. Cash loved animals as much as the vet and Ty. The owner was forced to give them access to the puppy, which had been locked in a closet with bloody marks on its back. Ty had slugged the man before his companions could react. He picked the pup up, gently, and after Cash took photos to document the abuse, walked out the door with Bentley Rydell to end up at his office, where the poor little morsel was treated and sent home after an antibiotic shot and stitches. Cash had promptly arrested the owner. The pup's owner went on trial, was convicted, and sentenced to jail. Nobody in Jacobsville liked a dog beater. The jury had only deliberated for ten minutes, despite the harried public defender's best efforts. All the district attorney Blake Kemp had to do was put up a poster-sized photo of the abused puppy for the jury and the audience to see. It had drawn gasps, and the pup's owner had looked around at glares that felt like burns on his skin. What's the matter with you? Aaron asked, glancing at his taut face. Puppy beaters, he muttered. Her expression softened. The man got what he deserved. How is Beauregard, by the way? She added. He smiled. He still whimpers in his sleep. I keep him with me at night. Rhodes isn't enthusiastic about it, but I think he senses that the puppy needs to be spoiled for a few weeks. Actually, he added on a chuckle, it's Rhodes's bed that they sleep in, curled up together. 
For an old dog, Rhodes is amazingly sweet. You've had him a long time, she remarked. He nodded. Thirteen years. I worry about him. Big dogs don't have the lifespan that smaller ones do. Rhodes is practically immortal, she replied with a smile. He's pampered. I guess so. Dad gave him to me as a Christmas present the year I graduated high school. I remember your parents. They were so sweet, she added. Your mother and mine were best friends. Hell of a shame what happened, he said stiffly. She nodded. It's a rare thing to have a tour bus go off the road and crash down a ravine. But those mountain roads in South America can be treacherous. Your parents were so much in love, she added quietly. It's hard to imagine one going on without the other. That's what Annie and I thought, he replied. But it's damn tough losing them both at once. I remember. At least you were both grown at the time, she added softly. He drew in a breath. Didn't help much, he muttered. For what it's worth, I know how it is. It was hard for Dad and me to go on after we lost Mom. Your mother had a hard life, he said. She sighed. Yes, Dad's hard to live with. He's not mean or anything, he just makes stupid decisions and runs his mouth when he shouldn't. Jack Dempsey won't even speak to him. That must hurt. They're best friends. They were, she said sadly. Dad was repeating some gossip that he'd heard about Jack's wife running around on him. It got exaggerated. By Dad, she muttered. And Jack's wife divorced him. It wasn't even true. My father has a gift for saying things without thinking first. A lot of people are like that. She grimaced. I wish they'd had more kids than just me, she confessed, looking up at him. It would be easier to manage, Dad, if I had brothers and sisters to... Share the misery. He chuckled. You do pretty good. She shrugged. I could do better. I'd have to take away his phone, though. 